What's poppin'? It is take 20 of Take It On, the mental health podcast for young men. I'm Jonah Jacobs. You're my co-host in person, Reed Milkins. Reed, man, it's a long semester, a take it on semester. I want to hear, I want, I want to hear how first semester sophomore year was. I remember when you came for that, that Penn State Michigan game. I, I kind of remember what I was like as a sophomore. And man, you are a just fucking wise, brilliant, mentally healthy young man. And I want to, I want to hear about your goals and how you're doing. Yeah. Uh, really awesome semester. Just got home. Today's what? Tuesday. Got home on Saturday. Um, yeah. Exams finished up uh, pretty well. Not all the final term grades are in, but I think relating to my initial goal that we set on the episode with Maybe we did this with Scott. Take five. Yes. Take four. Scott. Regardless, if you all haven't checked out the earlier takes, they're they're good. They're good. Yes. Uh, on the episode we we shot with Scott, I set my uh, three goals for the semester, being uh, grades, gym, and friends. Uh, so, starting with grades, I think I definitely did a really good job of preparing myself and making sure that I capitalized on everything that I could in terms of that, um, in the gym over the summer, I was really busy. Um, not to, not to make an excuse, but I guess I was prioritizing a few things over the gym, which is normally, um, you know, up there top, top one to two priorities in my life. Um, but this semester definitely really zoned back in with that made a lot of progress, um, and capped the semester off in the gym on a great note and just continuing to ride that wave. Um, and, and the one thing that I would say, I, I don't know if I necessarily lived up to my goal entirely. Um, it was kind of in the crosshairs of, of some other goals. Um, my goal was, I think, uh, I can't, I'm not going to quote myself, but I think it was to make the most of the time I had with my friends. Um, I think at, at some times I, you know, I, I struggle with going out sometimes. It's not always my favorite thing to do, going out to bars and parties and uh, drinking a lot. That's not my favorite way to spend my time with my friends, but I still do it occasionally here and there. Um, and I think sometimes I let my, I don't like to do that, get in the way of, you know, enjoying all the time that I had. I still, um, you know, really enjoyed the, the screw around time. We all lived together, which was really fun. So definitely enjoyed it. Not saying I, I didn't have a good time. I had a great time. Enjoyed every second I have with my friends. I think if I were to go back, I maybe would have not stayed in here or there um, to do whatever homework that could have been done during the day or, you know, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. Next semester might change a few things here and there. But, yeah, I think I, I did a really good job of taking on the semester and reaching goals, growing as a person, as a man, becoming more mentally healthy. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy with the way that the past four months have gone. That's awesome, dude. I, I mean, it's so brilliant that you're that we're even having this conversation. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain like ever. Like I'm trying to really go back to when I was a sophomore. And uh, I, I don't know if I, I feel like maybe half the audience knows me, remembers who I was sophomore year. And it's not like I was like this, like recklessly irresponsible person. I just like was not having these check-ins with my, not even like my, with my mental health. I mean, def I definitely was not, but uh, I was also just not having what I think are now just indispensable, um, just like me time scheduling, like just taking inventory on like who I want to be as a person and uh, what, what I like and what I don't like. And Reed, I feel like you, I mean, I, I, I look up to this about you incredibly. So, and especially just, you know, I feel like everyone your age or younger or older listening for sure does as well, which is just like how well you take inventory on what matters to you and what your priorities are and how you, you know, how, how you're doing on those. And so I think having that kind of like, you know, life schedule as you will, um, or just kind of like goal checklist and keeping track of it, I think it's just a brilliant way to execute on your passions and, honestly, just kind of like clarify if, you, if you're kind of lost in what you want to do, at, whether it's at work, at school, finding an internship, uh, who you like in, in your friends and in potential uh, sexual partners, you know, it's, it's important to have these introspective check-ins with yourself. Uh, I needed to do one. Uh, 
speaking or tying more into our guest. Uh, very excited for this one. I think his message will resonate with a lot of our audience and it deeply resonated with me as someone who often got lost in the activities I was doing and not really taking inventory on how I was feeling, you know, as like a high performer in high school and college. Um, when we recorded last week with Julian, our guest, I was incredibly stressed out from work as I'm sure everyone listening to this can relate to not even just work stress, but just when you are just so deeply stressed that you feel like you are barely accomplishing the task at hand because you're thinking about whether or not you did okay on the task you did before that. You have to do one that you were supposed to do three tasks before that one. And you have no idea when you're going to, you know, get, get to like task five, six, nine, ten that you have on the rest of the day. And this conversation with Julian, I was, you'll, as you'll hear, really put me back in the perspective I needed, despite everything I've learned from taking on. And, you know, I feel like the people that work their mind muscle the most are the ones who are first to admit when, or that it will not always be as strong as they wanted to. I would just, for the life of me that like that worked it. I just could not recenter and de-stress and become less anxious about my work until we had this conversation. And it, it really reminded me that stress at work, like so much of other stress is so self-inflicted. If you really break it down, are, are you going to get fired for, you know, this kind of performance? No, it's probably just in your head. Is, is your manager, is your professor, uh, whoever it is, are they even thinking about these things that you're thinking? Like pro probably not. As we talked about with Mac, you probably need to do some, you know, psychological distancing on yourself where you kind of think about yourself in the third person to really analyze the situation and how you're feeling. And uh, that experience really illuminated how much I've, I think, uh, kind of experienced like chatter in just in my daily life, just how much the, the voice in my head can, without me even realizing, kind of override my sense of reality and how, how I'm really, you know, feeling or performing in any kind of given situation. So for those listening, I highly recommend the next time you feel really overwhelmed, think about what exactly it is that's overwhelming you. It's likely kind of how someone is like the effects of your actions in a given situation or lack thereof. And really just kind of diagnose like whether or not that is real or just a thought in, in your head. Um, I've experienced this a lot too. Like read what you're saying about, um, you know, not loving to kind of party and drink with your friends all the time resonates with me a bit as someone who used to just absolutely love doing that all the time. And now I'm leaning into some values and hobbies that are just not really conducive to doing that 24 seven kind of feel like I'm straddling between, um, you know, I, as a 22 year old, I am both potentially a, you know, crazy college senior having the time of their life. And also, uh, someone who is just immersed in the workforce, trying to fortify what is about to be a decades long career. And so kind of, reconciling like the, the many competing voices in my head about, about how to do that is something I do on, on a regular basis. And I think just what Mac was talking about in just terms of distancing and really just trying to kind of remove yourself from, from that voice is, it's really helpful. That, that's my Jonah ramble awesome. for the intro. But I, I always appreciate hearing the Jonah ramble. I think we'll, uh, we'll utilize probably take 22 or 23 closer to the new year to kind of reset our goals for, yeah. My next semester, uh, and I guess the year, the year ahead. I'm gonna share my my morning routine also. Oh, stay tuned. A nice for time stamp. Routine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Without uh, without further ado, we are super excited to welcome for Take Twenty, Julian Serafian, the CEO of Nest Mode, a graduate of Harvard Law and champion of mental health. Julian, thank you for joining the show. Great to be here. Thank you, Jenna. Reed, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. So, you know, I've been scrolling through TikTok ever since I downloaded the app. And every now and then a new creator will pop up on my feed. And Julian had just been constantly coming up on, on my For You page. So, you know, I looked into his, his content and it was a lot of crossover between what we're trying to do and just opening up more 
mental health conversations between young men relating to some mainstream things, such as the type of work you're doing. Um, and I noticed uh, through looking at his channel that Julian had, had been through some very high points in, in graduating a wonderful university, attaining a high level job. And, you know, it just wasn't for him. And mental health is, is kind of the new path. Um, and, and Julian, I'll kind of let you give the audience a better picture on, on that story that you've got. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my, my path has been very much that of the model student. Valedictorian of my high school, went to undergrad at Berkeley and graduated in three years, straight through to law school at Harvard, and I graduated Harvard at 24. Went to a big firm in Silicon Valley and did the top-notch legal work there. And everything looks great on the outside, right? But on the inside, I had been struggling for a long time with what I didn't know was undiagnosed severe anxiety. And this thing was just basically sapping my fulfillment in life from a very early age, probably since I was a teenager, but it got much more destructive, I think, in my young adulthood in college and afterwards. And then the pandemic hits. And of course, the pandemic was rough on everybody, but I was still not adequately managing my mental health and aware of the ways that you know, I, was, I was being run by, by the anxiety. So things got even darker and I became mildly depressed. I hit a very low point this past December where I felt like I had tried every single thing I could to problem solve my misery and uh, nothing was working. So I went part-time at my job in February, gave it a few more months, realized that this journey for me was more important to focus on right now than you know, the job that I used to be in. And we can get into that. It's not just about mental health. There's other reasons I didn't really feel passionate about the work. And now I'm, you know, very much like you two out here and trying to advocate for clearly what is a broken narrative in so many different directions about mental health. Um, because not that many people have the privilege or even, you know, the, the support network and system in place to do what I did and quit outright to focus on mental health. Uh, many people stay miserable and they suffer for a long period of time and everyone around them suffers as a result too, because we don't have these conversations and because people don't know how to have these conversations. So that's the short version. That's awesome. I, I'm so excited to, to dive into this. I can, well, I mean, almost all of what you're saying is resonating with me and I, I want to share a little anecdote to kind of drive um, a broader question about fulfillment. I found myself, uh, as I finished my senior year um, at University of Michigan last, uh, it was around last December. So kind of going through my final year of college during COVID, COVID changed a lot about my identity and personhood. And I felt like I was struggling a lot managing the pre-COVID identity and then the current COVID identity with kind of a mash of both back at school. And I kept finding that I was having these questions of broader fulfillment and I couldn't shake, I just couldn't shake that issue. And considering like why I was studying what I was studying, what I was doing, what, mostly like, what is the meaning of life a little bit? And like, what is my role in it? So I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. Mm -hmm. And it really propelled my um, interest in kind of the self-help genre uh, writ large. So what, what were the moments that kind of forced you to take a hard look at the kind of fulfillment aspect of, of work and, and your life outside of it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. There were, I mean, there, there were many moments in my old job where I would sit back after sending off an email or finishing a project and just think to myself, is this what I'm going to be doing for the rest of time? <laughs> as at least time as I'm aware of it. And that voice just kind of got louder and louder over time. Because of course, when you're not doing something that you feel fulfilled in, it's not going to change, right? That feeling isn't going to change. And it's only going to wear on you more and more and more. So for me, I think it was very much a gradual process of mainly coming to terms with the fact that what I was doing was not intrinsically gratifying or energizing at all. And when, when I noticed that things started taking a turn in my personal life by way of physical health, relationships, and basic fulfillment in my life, when, when playing video games or going on a walk and just doing 
other, other, you know, extra work things were no longer fulfilling. I knew that there was a problem there because that meant to me that the toxicity of whatever it was that I was spending my time in at work, not just work, but of course, mismanaging my mental health had bled into everything else in my life. And it basically taken over my, my entire perspective and fulfillment therefrom. So when you, when you initially noticed that and you were kind of able to take a step back and, and look a little bit into the future at what you knew you didn't want to do, yeah. when did you make the choice to focus on social media and not only trying to help yourself, but help others? Yeah, it, honestly, so it's, it's a great question. I, to be totally honest, it's been very much an evolving uh iterative process I'll say like I didn't plan at all when I quit my job I had one thing in mind which was to focus on my mental health I had no other intention whatsoever and very quickly I found myself falling into this role of just advocating for these types of things online through social media you know on TikTok and Instagram but also on LinkedIn also on YouTube and wherever I can really get my foot in the door I will yell into that corner of the internet it's kind of like what I've decided to do and so I I, I love it for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, part of it for me is the fact that I think that we're missing a lot of important voice out there on social media. We have a lot of dancing. <laughs> we have a lot of like cool, cool editing, but I don't, in my opinion, think that we have enough authenticity and real conversations happening about real hard hitting stuff, including and not limited to mental health. So part of it is, is my desire to bring more of that into the world and find my people. And of course, the other part of it is, is, as you mentioned, sharing my story to help empower other people to realize that they're not alone. Because one of the most sinister parts of mental health right now is how isolated everybody feels when they are suffering through it, I think. And that's due to the stigma. It's due to the fact that we don't know how to talk about it with each other. It's due to a lot of things. But every single time one of us speaks up about it, we can reach that one person who thinks that they're alone. And that can maybe empower them to take the next step or learn about the space or maybe quit their job, whatever it is for them. Right. What was that initial feedback that you received once you started kind of sharing that, that voice in your story? Was it met with acceptance? Was it met with criticism? What, what was the, yeah. the feedback? It, it was so the, the, the third day after I had quit my job, I posted basically my story front and back, you know, the positives and then the flip side on LinkedIn and it went viral instantly that week and it garnered like 47,000 likes or something and a ton of traction and hundreds of comments. I received hundreds of messages of people coming forward about their own mental health stories and why they're so grateful that I came out with mine and whatnot. So it was overwhelmingly positive from the start. And I found the same on TikTok over time as I've been telling my story there throughout different contexts and in different ways, uh, the response has been similar. You know, I think people especially now given the pandemic and just the, the terror that a lot of us have, have lived through from the isolation and the uncertainty and the mortality and all of it. I think people need to know that they're not alone out there. And I think it helps the more, the more times that we can remind people of that fact. Totally agree. And what, what walk us through uh, the, the larger creation of your, of your platform with, um, with let's be real. And when you knew you could kind of take your message to such a broader audience. Yeah. I, so <laughs> with full disclosure that, that let's be real, the, the podcast that I host is kind of on hiatus mainly because I'm wearing so many different hats right now. I, um, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I love it. I just, I frankly haven't been able to devote the energy that I want to it, but I, I think that, you know, I, for me, I have not ever really put my voice out there as aggressively as I have in the past couple of months in my life. The only times that I had flirted with that in the past were when I was an undergrad and I wrote some articles for the daily Cal at Berkeley. And one of the articles was fairly controversial. It was about the politics around gun control and I had an outpouring of hatred like I had never seen before from the internet. And this was kind of my first exposure going quote unquote viral, although this was back in like 2013. So the internet looked different, but I got death threats for this thing. And people came out of the woodwork saying all sorts of stuff kind of turned me off to advocacy in, in a way. And I think because I wasn't able to manage my anxiety, I didn't really know how to cope with it. And so I kind of just shut down and didn't really say much afterwards. But this time is a little bit different. You know, I think I kind of after going through the pandemic and I'm a little bit older now and I kind of see and I know what to expect from people, 
a little bit more, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. And I've seen the power that one video, one clip, one voice, one text, one tweet can make on the world. And I'm not going to miss that chance. And I'm going to keep hitting the button over and over and over and over to keep finding my people through various contexts, like you said, whether it's drawing out these stories from other people too, which is my goal with Let's Be Real is let's actually get to the root of who you are as a person. You know, like, let's get to know you and like, let's talk about real stuff. Let's not just scratch the surface, like, which I think in my opinion, many interviews do. This one, I would say is an exception. You guys are wonderful hosts, but many interviews, right? I think you guys could, could both know what I'm talking about here. They, they're very much like the same thing over and over and over, which is different people, with different titles. And it's not interesting and it's not engaging. It's not fun to me at least. And so that was the goal. Let's be real is just to drill down and actually talk to people as people. Cause that's what I think it makes them most comfortable. And I think that's what people want to hear too. Speaking of over and over your story, as it relates to uh, your early high performing academic and what I assume is very astounding extracurricular and professional success is one that resonates with a lot of our audience <clears throat> and me specifically uh, as someone who was always on the path to maintain a perfect GPA, uh, you know, excel in every extracurricular you're involved in. You get a prestigious job with a high salary. And uh, I definitely on that path, I never really grappled with my very acute um, generalized anxiety disorder as well. And I feel like a lot of that was because I was so, so busy in every aspect of my life that I never really had the opportunity to genuinely take inventory on the most important part of my life, which was my mind, which is so ironic because you're using your mind for all of these things. And you think you're using your mind to the highest extent possible. And so on that journey, how did your anxiety manifest and uh, how did you know during the pandemic that you needed to finally take inventory of it and make a change? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's funny that you mentioned the anxiety driving you to some extent and, and being, you know, cause I've seen in my life that, that <laughs> the anxiety is very much a double-edged sword. It's a fuel that constantly keeps me ultra productive and functional and doing everything all the time and multitasking 98% of the day. And on the flip side, it burns me out and it doesn't leave me any room to just relax, like you said, and, and focus on the mental health. Uh, realistically, you know, I, I felt like my ability to communicate was massively hamstrung during the pandemic from the anxiety. And that there were other ways that the anxiety showed up over the years. I mean, I had uncontrollable gagging from ages 21 to 26 because I think my body was literally rejecting what I was doing to it because I wouldn't listen to it. And that's in part because I was not listening to the mental health aspect, right? And I wasn't taking the anxiety treatment necessarily seriously. I was in denial about, oh no, it's probably just a stomach issue and it's not really stress. It doesn't make sense that I'm stressed and I'm you know, trying to apply logic to feelings, which obviously doesn't work. Um, well, oh, youth, how naive I was. But during the pandemic, I felt like my ability to communicate honestly went through the floor. It was a weird sensation. It was like, I knew something was wrong I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was, but I knew my intentions. I knew the intentions of those around me. And I knew the outcome every single time, which usually resulted in like misery of some sort. Either I was miserable, I was pissed off, I was depressed, or the other person was angry. Like, and frankly, none of it made sense to me. You know, talking about applying logic here, like I, I looked at my life and I'm like, this doesn't add up. Like the, this, the, all of the pieces are in place. This outcome means that something has to be off. And I had tried every other sort of solution. Let me go exercise. Let me dabble in entrepreneurship. Let me spend my time doing this. Let me spend, but I never once said, let me literally focus mental health, like go into the mental health services and take the survey completely honestly, because <laughs> we all love to say, how anxious are you? Oh, only a little bit, only a little bit. <laughs> so true. No, no, I'm going to say like the actual answer, like all the time, you know, and see where that leads. And, and when I did, the result was severe anxiety and mild depression. And I'm like, okay, let's tackle this then. Let's see what happens when I focus on this. And since I have, it's obviously been a uh, astounding journey to say the least, but hopefully that answers the question. I feel like that's kind of meandering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you, when you did make the decision to, to quit your job and really focus on mental health, what were the types of things you said you had tried prior to quitting your job and really getting that diagnosis that you tried exercising, you tried this and that. Once you really decided to take it head on, what were the things that you found 
that maybe didn't work so well or the things that did work really well for you? Yeah. You know, to be fair, like I, 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 I didn't change a ton of the mental health practices that I'm doing now since I quit that, that I was doing at the time. Like when I started the mental health treatment and whatnot, you know, I did a variety of stuff, journaling, deep breathing, exercise, therapy, medications, like all sorts of different tools. I mean, they're all tools, right? That's the way I look at this. And so you got to learn to leverage all the different ones in, in the ways that they can help you. Since I quit, frankly, the big thing that's been helpful for me is just mental space to process and to just sit and actually take a beat and let myself breathe a little bit while also doing all of these various tools and reconstructing these neural pathways that have been ingrained and entrenched for so long. But the, you know, the, the big things for me that have always been helpful and continue to be helpful, therapy, journaling, deep breathing, you know, those are probably my top three and I know they're cliche, but they're cliche for a reason, I think. And so I've, I've only used them more now that I have more bandwidth to do so. Um, but the job really was just taking too much energy than I think it deserved. And based on what I was getting from it, I was getting paid 20 million. Maybe it's a different story, but you know, <laughs> actually, even that it wouldn't have been a different story to be honest, I probably would have still quit, but. In that same vein, I have a, I have a somewhat selfish question, but ideally yeah. our, our audience can relate to it as, as I've begun my, my take it on journey and really embraced, uh, championing my mental health. It's coincided, thankfully, although with some double-edged sword components with the start of my professional career in consulting. And I have found perhaps the most valuable aspect of my, my regular mindfulness practice and awareness of my mental health to uh, align with my, my career such that I'm very focused on purpose, as we talked about earlier. I, I take active note of the ways in which aspects of my job fuel my fire and the ones that certainly do not. And yeah. I'm really just kind of constantly taking inventory on yep. what it is I'm most passionate about to when I, when I want to, will feel the need to make a pivot or not feel equipped to, to do so. Yeah. For those who are just starting work or are in the kind of collegiate academic grind or straddling both of those things, um, what advice do you have who are, they're taking on their mental health. They're aware of everything you're saying in the sense of the importance of finding purpose of slowing down, being mindful, not subscribing to the tropes of, you know, you shouldn't sleep. You got to work as many hours as possible to be ultra productive, um, get as many certifications, et cetera. Um, while also having one foot in the world of, or culture where, you know, it's so conducive and, and stokes those kind of feelings. A long-winded way of saying, as yeah. someone, how, how do you straddle both worlds? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's tough for a lot of reasons. I'm sure you're familiar with this. It's tough because those jobs in, in, in our world right now tend to be demanding and require a lot of time and energy. But at the same time, what's more important is that you're aware of that uncertainty and you accept it, right? Because I, I do think a large part of what traps folks in, in things like big law and consulting and banking is the notion that you're, you've been on this track, you're on this track, and now that's it. Like you need to stay in this track, right? Like that's what you've worked so hard to do, quote unquote, is to be in this position. And so now if you don't like it, suck it up. That's what you signed up for. Like, this is why you did it all. And so you must stay and, you know, go to the next proverbial path, whether it's in-house at a hedge fund or PE or whatever it is. <laughs> and the reality is you can do whatever you want at any point in your life, always, right? Like, what is the ridiculous notion that you're trapped into this career path? Where does this come from, right? Like, I, you know, of course, I'm sure it comes from people who are risk averse, comes from the narrative that that's what's most common. It comes from the weird looks like, oh, you quit to like be a YouTuber? That's interesting, whatever. I forget the fact that YouTubers make like 20X what consultants make nowadays. Anyway, but I think really the more, <laughs> yeah, but the more, the more open-minded you can be, as you should be, right? Going into any career and just accepting like, look, this is one offer, right? That's all a career is or these jobs. It's an offer. It's like, hey, we're going to take your time and energy and what we're going to give you usually is money, right? So that's the trade-off, okay? That's what that's what McKinsey's offering me. That's great. I'm glad that's what McKinsey's offering me, but let me also make sure there's part of my awareness here that is open-minded to other things. And if you have the time and the bandwidth, of course, I think the best thing is take stock of what else you're interested in and what else you're passionate in and try your best to explore other avenues. I tried for me and it was hard. You know, it was incredibly hard to balance all of those things on top of having doggies and just the job itself was very demanding. You're on call all the time. So it's not easy 
at all. And sometimes it's not possible, right? And then for me, with all the constraints that I had to face, I didn't think it was. And so I made that choice. But I think if, if you go in with an open mind like that, it'll make it easier for you to structure it from the beginning. And it'll also help reduce your emotional attachment to the job, which of course you shouldn't have because the firm has no emotional attachment to you. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I speak broadly there, but you know, I go to bat for that for most companies, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Jones, I appreciate the wisdom. Uh, I, I think it's, it's incredibly wise. And I, I, I definitely will continue to apply those lessons uh, as, yeah. as I move forward in, in my journey. And I do feel very fortunate to be part of a, a firm that is very supportive of well-being writ large. This actually is our firm's well-being week. Um, earlier today, I listened to uh, a call with Simone Biles describing uh, emotional resilience wow. in, in her awesome. life and championing those strategies. And it was so incredible to hear her speak on and echo some of the conversations we've had on this podcast and that other uh, people like Andrew Huberman and other champions in the mental health space that I look up to kind of embrace those ideas. And so to feel like my firm promotes that uh, is, is super valuable. But Julian, I yeah. think what you said is, is incredibly wise, specifically as it relates to um, emotional attachment. Um, it was Today was a very stressful day for me at work. And as I reflect on it at the end of the day, almost for no reason. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a lot of responsibilities. I was, uh, I, I didn't respond to a particular email that I wanted to respond to earlier and just assumed that that was bad. And so I got stressed out about it, which made me right. get subsequently stressed about literally every other task I had for the day, which made me right. less productive. And so right. I had less time to do things. And it was like you said, entirely self-inflicted due to just an emotional attachment to it. Do yeah. you have any particular strategies for uh, kind of shedding the ego in, in that regard uh, as it relates to kind of our, our professional or uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, art, artificial kind of emotional attachments? Yeah. And I, I have my fiance to thank for this because I was the classic oh, I got to need my must respond now every single time for the first couple of months I worked at my firm, regardless of the urgency, just simply because I had to feed that sense of control that my, the anxiety wanted to have, right? Which was be the best you possibly can be, which means respond to everything instantly. And it's definitely a practiced skill I learned over time to like not care as much. It's like, you, there's no way you can get there without just practicing it. Like turning off the phone for an hour while you go to the gym putting the phone down when you go to sleep and just not checking it until 10 a.m. And kind of hundreds of those little circumstances adding up where nothing bad actually happened, <laughs> right? Because of course, I think this, this, this urgency stems from a fear, right? That something bad's going to happen if you don't respond quickly enough, if you don't get something. And so when you just let it happen and then nothing happens, you're naturally just going to take in more and more data that, oh, nothing's actually going to happen. And that's fine. And, it, but it, at the same time, it's not easy. And I have, you know, I'll say, I have close friends who are still in big law who are same year as me and everything. And some of my closest friends from law school who struggle with this basic thing, they cannot set a boundary. They just can't like, they'll still respond to emails in the middle of their workout and stop their workout, even though the email does not need to be responded to. And every time I tell them, why do you, and they're just like, I, I don't know. I just can't, they just can't get over the hump of like that fear. Right. And so like, I see how many people still struggle with this. And honestly, it's, it's kind of like face your fears at a certain point like know your worth. Like these companies are not going to actually fire you for just not responding to an email in like three minutes. Like that's not <laughs> like, unless you're really bad, which you're probably gonna get fired anyway. So I don't know. I, it's a self-confidence thing to some extent, but also I think we just need to be vocalizing and advocating for these people to just take these steps and actually do it and practice it. Cause it's not just going to happen naturally. You don't naturally wake up and not give a crap. Some people do and I'm very envious of that, but not me. <laughs> I think that that feeling of being able to separate yourself um, from the, the emotional attachment of your work. Me, I'm still a student. I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. Um, and I had, a, I had a final exam last night. And after, I, I don't know how I did yet. I'll find out in a week. But I can't be constantly stressed about it, wondering how I did, because I know that I did the best job I could in preparing myself for success. So regardless if I did achieve yeah. success, I did what I had to do to get to that point. And you know, hopefully the outcome is, is what I hope it is. Um, but, you know, 
that same mental and emotional attachment goes for so many other areas in life. I remember two summers ago, um, I was training really hard. Um, we talk about uh, early on the show how I was training to walk onto the lacrosse team here in college. Um, never ended up happening, but during training one day, my coach, he said to me, as I, I ran a clocked uh, flying 10 is what they call it, where you're already sprinting and in the middle of the sprint, 10 yards of sprint are clocked. And it's, it's not a start 10 and you get there, it's in the middle, the middle 10. So it's very fast. And one day it was like lower than the past. He's like, you don't have to stress about that, that it's lower. That was still 98% of your best yeah. speed. So, you know, the, the constant um, desire to pr uh, produce success at like the highest rate shouldn't always be the, the most stressful thing for you. You know, it should be kind of being able to consistently produce what you know you can do and not stressing about not necessarily doing everything at, at the best level at all the time, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that made a lot of sense. Kind of yeah, no, it, it totally does. It's, it's, it's the difference between judging yourself for not getting it perfect and appreciating the fact that you tried your best, which yeah. is something I still struggle with like every single day, but I think it's, it's absolutely true. The, the more you beat yourself up over every little imperfection, the more you're going to lose in general, just as a result, every single time. It's very wise. Julian, I have a <clears throat> kind of, kind of weird hypothetical I just came up with Yeah, yeah um, hit me. in that. So on your, on your just kind of academic professional journey, if you could go back and tell yourself some of the lessons that you've learned, I'm curious, where would you have intervened? Like at what age and point do you think you would have been uh, both emotionally, um, intel emotionally and mentally intelligent enough to kind of have those ideas that resonate with you in such a manner that you could trust your future self? Because I think that at least a barrier I think about in terms of getting our messaging out there normally as it relates to some of the kind of hyper-masculine tropes surrounding the men's mental health conversation in general is that despite Reed and I, from our vantage point, uh, understanding the, the, the relative truthfulness of what we're saying, some people out there are, it, they're so saturated in the stigmas that it, it, it's just so hard for them to break away from it and have the content yeah. resonate with them. So kind of where, like at what point in your journey do you think you would have been able to, and to those that have a heart that are caught up in the just anxious productivity loop that just, you have these blinders on away from your mental health and towards grades, internships, et cetera. Yeah. Um, like what would you tell those people to kind of have that breakthrough moment with them? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, cause I, I'm probably the most stubborn person I've ever met. And so like, I feel like if I even met myself in the future now, I would tell them like, like, you don't know what you're talking about anyway. You're stupid. <laughs> like, even if I know it's me. So I would hope that if I went back in time to myself in early college days and I told myself simply to understand and learn about the space, that's basically what I would just tell myself too, is like, look, I'm not telling you that you have anything or you don't, I'm telling you to learn about it. Because if you don't know anything about it, then you can't do anything at all because you have no knowledge and you have no foresight and you have no awareness. But if at least you learn, then maybe, and of course, naturally, if I had learned, then I would have realized all of the various ways that I think it was impairing me, you know, the anxiety. And it, part of that, I think, also needs to be messaged in a way where there's also this false dichotomy that we think that if we somehow take mental health more seriously, that our professional performance is going to suffer. There's definitely this idea. And I mean, look, in my case, I quit my job to focus on mental health. It's like the most stark example of giving up, quote unquote, the epitomized version of success to focus on mental health. And it's unfortunate because we need to, <laughs> we need to show people that you can do both at the same time because it's very possible. It's just practice like everything else. And the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be long-term because managing anxiety, I mean, look, it's different for everybody, but my opinion, a lot of this is practice. It's just rewiring neural pathways over and over and over and over. And it just takes time and energy. But the earlier that you can get started in just understanding, look, I can still get a 4.0 and I can still get a 175 in the LSN. I can still go to Harvard Law School but I can also learn to take deep breaths twice a week. 
you know, I could still journal once a week, you know, just doing that in my undergrad years and beyond would have been immensely helpful. That would have taken me 30 minutes a week, you know? And so I, there's definitely a false narrative that if you somehow take mental health seriously, you're, you're deprioritizing the professional pursuit and it's not, it's just about time management. And I'm sure no matter what high achiever out there, no matter where you are, I guarantee you, if I look at your schedule, we could fit in 30 minutes of some sort of mental health, you know, practice. Uh, per week or month. What uh, I'm curious in terms of educating yourself on it, um, what, what, like what, what resources or learning materials did you start with and pursue? Uh, I, it's, I guess like maybe particularly as it relates to um, your focus on rewiring neural pathways, because I, I totally agree with you is as I've gotten more interested in this space and I've, gone and explored the more, um, I don't, I don't want to say like, I guess like neurobiological approach to, uh, some of these aspects, it almost felt more empowering. Like I, I yeah. could, I could have a one-to-one correlation understanding how a practice of journaling changes the way in which right. my brain thinks. And it was almost that kind of like logical explanation to what was going on, uh, has helped me and propelled me. And I think enabled a ton of growth. So kind of like what resources would you recommend our listeners pursue to become more literate in this space? Yeah. So I love the book zebras, why zebras don't get ulcers by Robert Spolsky. He's an evolutionary biologist. And that book specifically talks all about the effects of stress on the body and just how stress impacts everything you know, that happens to your, of course, mental and physical health, but it, 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 it talks, like you said about the science behind why and how, which I think it's, I enjoyed reading about science because I think it's interesting stuff. It's kind of hard to argue with, especially when half the words I don't understand, which usually means I have to trust them. Um, so I love that book. I'd also say medium, which is, you know, the digital writing platform where anyone can just throw out ideas. I got a subscription to that. It's only like five bucks a month for a couple of months. And I found that it was very, very insightful. The ideas that people there are talking about in the mental health realm, they're very bleeding edge. You know, I mean, that's in my, in, in medium, I, I think it's different for everybody, but I found for mental health, at least that there's a lot of very clever and unique perspectives being thrown around in there. Um, but ultimately the more important thing is, is also having an open mind, right. And just like learning from people around you too. Like I'll, I'll, I'll routinely pick my friend's brains now and be like, how do you not worry when something like this happens? How do, how do you do that? It's something I just used to not do because I used to be more stubborn and just think, oh, I know everything, whatever, I don't need to ask. But being more curious and kind of asking and trying to understand the way that other people operate is also helpful for me because it gives me more context. I love that. And it seems, Jones, as we're already in the midst of a little bit of take on trivia here. So I think we should keep the, keep the boat rolling a little bit. Julian, usually at the end of our episodes, we like to quiz our, uh, our guests a little bit on kind of what they're what they're into in terms of reading what the what shows or movies they like to watch role models any types of quotes or or mantras they like to live by so we just got a little bit of your more educational type reading is there anything that that you've been reading recently that that you really enjoy aside from that enlightenment now by steven pinker let's Um, go i love enlightenment now oh yeah incredible one of one of my favorite all-time favorite books i mean you know unpacks just why we are better off today than we ever have been before very simple premise but he unpacks it with data in my opinion very hard to argue with uh so love loved enlightenment by stephen pinker a, a promised land by barack obama i think was just a great read you know that's just a side not not as much mental health focused but in some ways it's humanizing you know it's, it's a story that shows you a lot of different elements of what it is to be a president and it grounds, I think, a lot of the ways that we perceive people in power, which I think is important too. Um, so both of those, I think, are fantastic. Have you ever read uh, *Sapiens* by uh, Yuval Noah Harari? Not, not yet. It's on my list. It's on my list. I've I've heard many, many, many things. I I I mean, I'll recommend that to anyone just because it's my favorite. I think I think he's my. It's hard. It's hard. I, I, he is my favorite social scientific writer maybe and pinker is a close second and the way yeah. in which they both package their ideas um after reading enlightenment now i like i would recommend sapiens it's it's the same way uh that that pinker uh goes through his ideas and just makes such complicated historical concepts uh in such an easily digestible format and just like such eye-opening uh 
you know, analogies, et cetera. Um, and aside, but that's, that's awesome. Wow. I have, I've never met anyone else who's read that book. So that's, that's great. <laughs> I love it. Um, what are you, what are you watching or what, what do you like to watch? Uh, if you're not currently watching anything. Oh man, bunch of random stuff right now. I'm watching suits, uh, mainly because people Ironic. in our community want to know <laughs> how accurate it is. So I'm learning about suits, which has been super fun. But I'm all over the board with, with TV. I watch a bunch of anime. So I don't know if you, you know, Naruto, Hunter x Hunter, just Death Note, all of the major animes, Attack on Titan, all of all of those as well. Uh, Bojack Horseman, I think is very, very good. And I was going to rewatch that pretty soon too. So basically anything that's, anything quality, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Cool. Uh, what about any, any type of role models that you have in your life uh, when you were younger or, or now? Yeah, I mean, both of my parents, I think, are the first people that come to mind. My mother just being a tremendously hard worker. Both, both of them are first generation immigrants to the U.S. and came from nothing, built up a lot for themselves and worked tremendously hard to do so and give me all the opportunities that I've had. And in so many ways, they continue to be role models for me. Um, on a larger level, Barack Obama, I think, remains one of my role models to this day, just because I think he, he does a very good job communicating to all aspects of humanity in a way that I see that very few leaders are able to do. And I very much appreciate that about him. Um, that's, that's probably the top three that come to mind. That's awesome. And, and finally, any, any sort of quotes or mantras that you, you like to live by, find inspiring, would like to share? Yeah. So there, there's one that, that I think is driving a lot of my current path right now. And it's something that my high school calculus teacher, Mr. Shio, he gives out to certain students with an actual starfish and it's called the starfish story. And the basic idea is there's a man who's walking on a beach and he's throwing things into the ocean. So another man walks up and says, well, what's going on here? And then he sees that what he's doing is actually throwing the starfish that are on the beach back into the water. And he says, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm throwing the starfish back in the water. And he says, why are you doing that? There's hundreds of miles of sand and thousands of starfish. You can't possibly make a difference. And as the starfish that he just threw hits the water, he said, it made a difference for that one. And so I kind of think about that when I think about the advocacy work that I do in reaching those people out there, wherever they are, right? If it reaches just one person, then it was worth it to me. And uh, I think it's just an empowering way to think about you know, how much power each of us really do have in the world, whether or not we may see it or not. I love that. I love it too. Oh, that was just in line with, uh, with me and Jonah's first, first goal that we set out when we started Take It On. So if awesome. we could just help out one person, you know, that's, that's the goal right there. Tremendous. It's incredible, guys. Thank you, yeah. Julian. Uh, we appreciate your support. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this re recording came at the perfect time. I'm having one of those typical, I am stressed out about my <laughs> corporate job and it's hard to, uh, or at yeah. the moment it's, you know, I have some of the blinders on to my own mental health uh, education and progress I've made in this space over the last six months. And your perspective is much needed, not only to myself, but to millions of others. So thank you so much for, for the work that you do and joining us to further this conversation together. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you both for having me on. Take it easy. All right, Reed. Awesome episode, dude. Thank you for, for finding Julian and getting a, a like-minded young men's mental health advocate on the pod. Yeah, it was, it was funny how that worked out. I was legitimately just scrolling on my TikTok for you page one morning. Saw him. I was like, hey, he'd be interesting to talk to. Sent him an email and a couple of days later, we're recording. Uh, Julian, thank you for joining us. That was, that was really cool. Uh, very interesting background. This dude is incredibly impressive. Holds some great insight. And Jones, like you're very much so immersed in that corporate life i am not yet there what do you kind of make of what we just heard a lot um and especially someone who's just starting their career it's i mean everything julian says resonates with me a ton um especially with respect to how easy it can be i think to kind of like fall into some of the um not like stereotypes but just like like concern about work and just get like, so like wound up about work stress that like is artificial. It's either, it's either in your head from like your own, your own doing, or 
you know, it's like this, like really, um, you know, toxic culture that uh, like competition and competitiveness in the workplace, workplace drives. And so um, as we were just, you know, chatting about, like, I, th I think that um, it, it, it's really valuable advice. It's, you know, he, he definitely put my workday in perspective since we've talked uh, definitely when I kind of feel that like feeling of stress about performance um, to like my superiors, when that comes up, like it, I, I like having this like kind of counterbalance as someone who's been in it, someone who feels it acutely. And then the one thing I want to add is um, I, I just, I, I don't know if it's reassurance, but you know, hearing how Julian said that COVID made him confront these issues, may, it, it gives me like going back to our conversation with John, it's COVID really was what catalyzed kind of my focus on, on, on what was going on in my head and kind of my life in general. And I, I feel like it's important for, for I me, mean, especially for me, just like people in general who kind of question whether that some of the changes they've experienced during COVID, if that's, if that's normal, yes, it's normal. You should embrace it. Um, yeah. Sweet. Short rant for me. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No, that's great. I think this was a, a very valuable episode. I definitely am going to bookmark that one, listen back uh, when I when I start to enter that corporate world of work. Totally, dude. When my, when my deliverables do that week, oh man, I'm going to yeah. be putting that on, on repeat. For sure. um, yeah. Reed, great to see you in person, man. No doubt. This is awesome. It's crazy. Within two weeks, we've got two episodes recorded and we're sitting, sitting right next to each other. It's a good feeling. Love it. And Reed, then next Monday, take 20. Take, take 20. Wow. Two tens. Remember how excited we were with two tens? Yeah, for real. Wow. Man, imagine what 40 is going to look like. 50? <laughs> Woo! Awesome. Man, 52, year. we're at a full year then. Oh, man. Awesome. All right, Reed. You know what to do. All right. From Take 20 with Julian Safarian, we're out of here. Deuces. Take it easy.